it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for your company. You will remember that last Saturday, the 28th of November, was held the annual general meeting of Blind Citizens Australia. We'll be talking more about that in the coming weeks on New Horizons. However, following the annual general meeting was a presentation given by Linda Agnew. Now, you might remember Linda as having been one of the presenters on the Eye to the Future videos that Blind Citizens Australia put out earlier this year or late last year. Linda is the Head of School of Science and Technologies at the University of New England and is going to talk to us about her academic and career pathway, but also some of the barriers that are inherent in blind and vision impaired people gaining careers in science, technology, engineering and maths. Now, this is an edited extract from uh, Linda's presentation, and uh, the full presentation will be put up on the BCA website shortly if you'd like to hear it. And uh, we will present the second part of this presentation in New Horizons in future weeks. My apologies for the quality of the audio. There was a little bit of breakup, but it should be clear enough for you to understand Linda's key messages. Today I'm going to be speaking to you a little bit about my career pathway, a bit about uh, my work and also about uh, pathways to careers in STEM and some of the challenges that face uh, students with a disability and particularly those who are blind or have low vision in entering a career pathway in STEM, and also some of the options that I see available to us um, in that space. During my school years, I really loved science. Um, it was something that sort of seemed to come relatively easy to me. I had that affinity for maths and science subjects. Um, I think at the end of um, my high school years, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I um, could have attended university and done pretty much anything I wanted to do, but the family support wasn't there for me to be able to do that. The other thing that was challenging was living in a remote area. Having to travel uh, to study uh, was going to be challenging for me and not having family uh, extended family support, or even a, a family history of tertiary education uh, made that dream seem just unreachable. And so um, I actually ended up uh, working in a number of jobs and I got married and had four kids. And so we fast forward, um, you know, quite some years later, I was about uh, in my early 30s when I that desire to study really came back to me. So I, um, I reached out and did a tertiary preparation program because my confidence uh, was lacking and that was really successful. And then I discovered that UNE um, was, was um, offering a Bachelor of Science program majoring in biomedical science for distance education. So the approach was that you got all of your packages of materials, and this is long before online learning and online um, uh, methods of teaching were available. So you get your package of materials in the mail and you would uh, study all the theory and then for a two-week period in the middle of the semester, 
you'd uh, come to UNE Armidale and do all of the practical components. And so I started off my degree that way. Um, and then uh, as a family, we discussed the option of packing up our family from Mount Isa and moving to Armidale so that I could complete my degree. So, uh, which I did. And then uh, I was offered the opportunity to do an honours year um, which was a laboratory-based project, and then a PhD followed. Um, and so things were ticking along um, quite steadily for me, and I had plans of um, heading into a career in medical research and potentially going overseas to do a postdoctoral research fellowship. Um, my research was in HIV immunology, and I sort of had my career pathway all stepped out in my mind. Um, what happened then though was quite unexpected. So in the final year of my PhD, I started having some difficulties with my vision. I ended up with the diagnosis uh, of cone rod dystrophy. Um, and uh, some of you may know what that is, but it's a degenerative retinal condition. Um, and this came as a complete shock because there was no family history and my specialists really couldn't tell me what the outcome would be. Um, the, the extent of information I received was that, you know, you may go completely blind or you may retain, you know, quite good functional vision for the remainder of your life. We don't know what will happen. We don't know when that might happen. And by the way, uh, you probably should get your kids tested because this is a genetic condition. So that really turned our world upside down. Some really extensive soul searching had to take place. And I really um, considered that I had invested in that career that I really didn't want to give it up. Um, so then I start, started to pursue options in um, planning my career pathway that, that looked a little bit different than what I thought it might uh, look like. So over the, the next four years or so, um, my sight deteriorated to the point where I became legally blind. Now, during this time, I held a postdoctoral research fellowship and was able to continue working um, without uh, the need for adaptive technology or any support or assistance. Um, in 2009, though, I... Um, I uh, was offered my first uh, permanent uh, academic position back at UNE um, as a lecturer in biomedical science. And so I had to really consider whether I would declare uh, my vision loss um, at that point, particularly given the uncertainty and the field that I was in. But I made the decision to do so, um, to be really upfront with the employer um, and to put it out there around the accommodations that I may need moving forward. And that was the right decision for me because in time um, I lost all of my sight um, and I've now been completely blind for about five years. Um, so uh, during that time, obviously, I've had to adapt the way that I work. However, during that career pathway, I've received multiple promotions and awards. Um, I am um, now, as I said, the head of School of Science and Technology. So during that time, I've been a teacher, educator. I have, um, I've done uh, and continue to actively participate in research and lead research projects. I supervise undergraduate and postgraduate research students. Um, I engage in outreach uh, activities, and I'm in a leadership position now at UNE as a head of school. 
So what I want to give you now is a bit of a snapshot of access rates um, for, for people with a disability in, in the sector. So we know that students with a disability continue to be disadvantaged in relation to access to higher education in Australia. So ADSET, the Australian Disability Clearing House for Education and Training, reports that between the ages of 15 to 65 years of age, 17% of people with a disability hold a bachelor degree or higher in Australia, and that's compared with around 30% of people without a disability. We do know that people with a disability are more likely to obtain level qualification, so perhaps at vocational education level, and around 28.4% um, uh, of people with a disability hold a certificate level qualification. So you can see that um, fewer people with a disability hold a bachelor level qualification or above. We know that in 2018, only 7.4% of tertiary students in Australia have a disability. Now, we know from the figures that there's a very, very slow increase in participation rate, um, but really 7.4% uh, participation rate is really very low, um, particularly when we consider that approximately 20% of the population has uh, some form of disability. So we know those rates for participation could be and should be better. So the picture for those seeking a career in STEM is really not as clear in Australia. And in part, that's due to the fact that the government's collection on data, uh, most of that data is pooled data of, in general, people with a disability. Um, However, if we look across um, the international sectors, we can gain a little bit of insight and some clues um, from these other sources. So the National Science Foundation in the USA, um, their report in 2017 around persons uh, of minority background and people with uh, a disability, they state that around one in nine um, scientists and engineers in the United States uh, have a disability. Uh, however, the Science uh, and Engineering Leadership Initiative at the University of Delaware has said that only 2% of STEM doctorates have actually been earned by people with a disability. And so we know that in the United States, the ADA um, uh, was passed in 1991, and that figure of 2% really has been not increased uh, statistically significantly since that time in 1991. So we know that there are extensive barriers in, uh, in STEM for people with a disability. In 2013, uh, there was a conference in the UK around transition uh, into careers uh, in the STEM fields for people uh, visually impaired. 
So we know there are significant gaps, even though people have received a tertiary education, there are still significant gaps in them gaining um, gaining. Um, so employment rates for those with a disability are less than those uh, without a disability in the STEM field. In 2014, there was an online forum around barriers that faced people uh, with a disability uh, getting careers, uh, achieving careers in STEM. So a couple of the key features that they mentioned were having great difficulties at interview. And in particular, they found interview panel members uh, exhibited either unconscious or conscious bias. And this was despite the fact that many of these individuals who went to interview had taken with them a statement around accessibility and around their abilities in the workplace. Um, but they said that it still provided a barrier to them uh, and the perceptions of the interview panels as to their ability. The other area that they faced uh, was access to reasonable adjustments in the workplace. And uh, the reports on this particular point were that most of those individuals said that their employers were not aware of what uh, accommodations were uh, required by law, but also what supports were available out there for employers to be able to assist them to provide reasonable accommodations. So barriers for blind students and researchers shouldn't be underestimated in the STEM field, but it shouldn't mean that they're insurmountable. And that's it for this week's program. I do hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to get in touch with Blind Citizens Australia, you can call 1-800-033-660, or you can email bca at bca.org.au, bca at bca.org.au. Don't forget you can donate regularly or a once-off donation to Blind Citizens Australia to help the organisation serve the needs of people who are blind or vision impaired right across Australia. If you'd like to do that, contact BCA and they'll be sure to give you information on how you can go about that. And in the meantime, I'll talk to you next week. We'll achieve the realisation of a dream Of a dream